0: Welcome to episode 196 of Tim Talk, aka Podcast X. Our mission today is to review the DC animated universe co created by Bruce Tim, specifically the Justice League Unlimited season 2 episodes, The Doomsday Sanction, and Task Force X. To do so, I have assembled a squad of the worst of the worst. Each member of the team is chosen for his or her unique set of abilities. I am Chris Lord, aka Lordy, and in my hands, anything is a deadly weapon. My father was a soldier who trained me how to kill from the moment I was born. Next up is Cameron Dexter, a.k.a. The Animator. In his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. His father was a soldier who trained his son how to kill from the moment he was born. I am here out of blind patriotism for my country, but you, Cameron, need a little more persuasion. So to make sure you stay in line, you've been injected with a nanite explosive It's the size of a rice grain, but it's as powerful as a hand grenade, and I'm the man holding the pin. If you go on too many tangents about anime, you die. If you try to make any one of these episodes into a two-parter, you die. If you fail to be amused by my overly long and mostly plagiarized introduction, you die. And if you want to know what happened to the rest of the squad, let's just say they couldn't find their sense of humor, and now they can't find their heads. And with that ominous threat, shall we dive head first into our mission?
1: And I'm Cameron Dexter. <laughs> you had you had me you had me for until the very end. Until the pun, I was all I was all on board. Well,
0: um you better get on board Cameron because if you don't laugh at the puns, I'm going to pull your dad him, head off. You know what? That's fine cuz I don't have to hear him anymore. <laughs> You'll be mercifully spared. Yes. This is why it's called the Suicide Squad. Everyone wants just to get away from my goddamn puns. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, that was beautiful. That was, that was very good. I'll take on the role as the animator. Thank you, yeah. It seemed like the right name for you. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of, like, what a power about the animator would actually
0: be. Well, let's say this could be set in the uh, the James Gunn Suicide Squad. So it can be really fucking weird and trippy. Okay. Well, we have, like, Tattoo Man,
1: who has all the tattoos that he can kind of give sentience to. Right. Um who we saw in the Electra movie, I believe. And he's popped up in a couple other places. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think I pitched you the idea of the imp- like the improviser as yes. a as a supervillain. Oh, or su- that would have been a superhero. Good. Yeah, that would have been good. Who just like holds up their hands like of what a basketball would be and a basketball can appear in their hands. Mm-hmm. They can just summon anything if they know the exact size of it. <laughs> Something similar to that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would be a good superhero power. Probably not for the Suicide Squad. Well, that's the whole point is you're just there to die anyways.
0: Yeah. You make great cannon fodder. Yes. We both would. I could make cannon fodder. <laughs> oh, 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 the dad joke tables have turned. Yes.
1: <laughs> is that a dad joke? Eh, whatever. Eh,
0: I don't know. What What is a dad joke even at this point? Yeah. Don't we don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a dad. No. Mercifully. Uh, But yeah, in case you couldn't tell, everyone, we're here this week to talk about the DCAU's version of the Suicide Squad and Task Force X. Uh, But first up, we have the Doomsday Sanction. Shall we uh, dive in and see what's going on there? Let's jump on into it. All right, so in this, uh, the full scope of Cadmus is revealed, as is the truth that Cadmus created the creature Doomsday the nearly-destroyed Metropolis before the fascistic Superman of the Justice Lord reality lobotomized him. Uh, Cadmus has recovered and healed Doomsday, who is released by an embittered Dr. Milo, and set loose on a rampaging mission to kill Superman uh, while he and the League attempt to rescue the island of San Baccaro from an impending volcanic eruption. Uh, but ultimately, this whole episode is essentially a massive pissing contest between Batman and Amanda Waller, and I love it.
1: Yes, this we are we are in it now oh yeah we are in the best arc of a
0: superhero series ever and Ooh. it just goes above anything even in young justice above anything in titans, Teen titans? i think so yeah
1: i mean i love the Terra arc it's a very slow burn mm-hmm. and it burned me and scarred me so hard burned you so so hard yeah uh but i think i i believe the cadmus arc is kind of the penultimate no that means second doesn't it? yeah it's like the ultimate the (laughs) ultimate yeah (laughs) arc that any superhero series i can't say animated series because like obviously there's still avatar of course
0: yeah of course um no i mean i i think that's a fair argument this like this whole thing is so interesting because it really does offer a different look at the league. They come off not looking great in some ways at the end of this episode.
1: Oh, the the final shot of them sitting in the throne room was yeah. so off putting.
0: Yeah, re- I hated that. Really, really ominous. So we'll 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 get into that. But like, how did Batman approve of that?
1: Because <laughs> I could imagine him having one chair for him, but right. not six chairs.
0: He he sometimes likes to pretend like they're all equals right sometimes just just to give throw him a bone a mm-hmm. little bit here but um like this episode has a really interesting opening because one we we see like the announcement that Lux Luthor is now officially running for president um which was teased at the end of I think the Justice Lords episodes uh, maybe uh w- or no maybe or it, was it was tabula not tabula rasa was it um the return yeah it might have been the return yeah um, so, like, now he's, like, fully in it, like, fully running for, for president, and we see that because we're getting a quick little tour of Amanda Waller's house, and so she's getting ready to go in the morning, and then she, like, goes to get out of the shower, and Batman's standing there holding the towel, like, get dressed, we need to talk. I have two questions. Yes, please. Um, In the
1: quick snippet we see of Lex on the TV and kind of hearing background noise, we hear he's going strong against his two competitors. Mm-hmm. Is Lex running independent? Oh, I mean, it's a very 2005 thing. He, ooh, he might be. That's bizarre. (laughs) I don't know why that's so weird, but that is the weirdest part of this intro,
0: is Lex running independent. He's the Ralph Nader of the DC Animated Universe. (laughs) I I could see him doing that.
1: Yeah, because especially like nowadays in the post-Trump era, Lex is seen as like a strong Republican.
0: Yeah, like that, that's that's the, the the element of this that just doesn't really work anymore. It's reality has become stranger than fiction. Yes, yes. We we have lived through a reality worse than Lex Luther being president because at least Lex Luther, evil though he is, is competent. Well, have you seen the the
1: joke about the reason Amazon is putting out so many like anti superhero stories? with Invincible and the boys uh-huh. is, because, Je- is c- because Jeff Bezos is tired of being paralleled to Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> but it just like strengthens the parallel of re- him like
0: creating fear mongering towards yeah, heroes. It only really as the does. bald billionaire that he is. Yeah. I mean, he is the closest we have to a real life Ernst Stavro Blofeld, both in terms of like Machiavellian nature and aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> so. The man should never buy a white Persian cat. That'll just fully seal the deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that he's like, Lex is now like fully in it, and this will set up the idea that'll come down a little ways that like, oh, is the Justice Lords reality, alternate reality, or is it just the future? Yeah, is it an inevitability? Yeah, which isn't brought up here, but it, it's it's sort of hinted at that because Waller's whole point it's like. You know, she even says you have like a massive space laser pointed down. And in another universe, seven of you overthrew the entire U.S. government. Like, we're the good guys. You're the threat. We're going to do whatever we need to do to stop you. And Batman doesn't have a response. He literally just like turns around and walks away at that point, partly because I think he thinks she's right. And yeah, we see that concern
1: kind of come come true in the end. Yeah. like Batman at the, at the end of this episode does see her perspective. Like he does kind of fear
0: their power, I mean, he's not look. he's not she's not entirely wrong. He's not entirely wrong. I, I I do have one little note, though, about how, you know, they're they're constantly trying to get under each other's skin, waller and and Batman. And I feel like Batman was so like, put, like, uh, shocked and put off and his ego is so bruised by, like, the the rich boy comment from Waller the last time he saw her, that the only way he could think of, like, getting under her skin is to, like, show up in her bathroom when she's in the shower, which is a little bit creepy. It's a little too far for uh, Batman. I was like, you're having to go way, you're having to go in, like, very uncomfortable territory to get under her skin in the way that she got under yours. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Mm."
1: I, I would say, compared to what Batman, his surroundings are normally like, this is as off-putting as it is for her. As I, I mean, obviously, it's very off-putting for her because she's nude in her own shower. Yeah. But this is a confined, brightly lit space, mm. which is very against Batman. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So he's having to like leave his bubble mm-hmm. to
0: enter her world for this confrontation. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their their dynamic is so interesting yes and and one of my favorite parts of all this and of course it it, it has a a nice little kind of bow at the end when we get there eventually um but so we kind of now know the full scope of cadmus and it's revealed in a really awesome sequence where batman at the the founder's table which very interestingly now does include Mm shaira uh he's kind of walking through what cadmus is how it was set up what their aims are and like partway through that, we're like rotation around the table and then cuts over to the Cadmus table and runs full circle there. And we get to see every once in that other table. It's some really interesting people, too, that are included as part of the team. So I think I, uh, I have some of them written down here. So we have obviously Amanda Waller, Emile Hamilton, which we already knew at this point was part of Cadmus and mm-hmm. has betrayed Superman by making Galatea, who he says is almost fully recovered. From her recent battle with Supergirl, uh, we have Tala, who I don't really know anything about. Do you? I do not. This is her first appearance. Yeah, it's it's her first appearance. I mean, we know she's magical, and she makes a comment about how they're getting ready to try and, and steal something, which we'll, we'll come back to uh, in our next episode, Task Force X. Um, but yeah, I don't really know much about her, and, and she's like the only new person, really, there. yes yeah we have one coming in and basically one going out exactly yeah so um because we also see uh general wade eiling who when, when did he last appear uh dark heart dark heart that's right yeah with voiced by the great jk simmons jk simmons <laughs> yes uh he's there dr milo is there who we know used to do like the animal splicing stuff i think he was in um was your it... favorite oh cat scratch was... oh and fucking moon of the Wolf. Moon of the wolf baby <laughs> he created a wolf. werewolf <laughs> God damn it. Oh, I'm really glad he gets killed in this episode. Now yeah. that I remember that well, there's a, a line that he gives,
1: which I think is interesting. And basically he stole man bats um
0: research yeah. to help with his splicing. Yeah. He specifically mentions that. Yeah. Kirk Langstrom's research has been really helpful. and And yeah, it's, the way it's phrased, it doesn't indicate whether Langstrom's working with them or he's stolen something from them. I, I feel like he probably stole it from Langstrom, who, who generally I mean, we'll use the more American world. He seized it. That's true. <laughs> he seized that research because I, I mean I think anytime we saw Langstrom, like he was more or less like a pretty solid dude. He just had a bad habit of turning into a bat and flying around. Yeah, Gotham. A werebat. A, a werebat. Uh, and then we also get the reappearance of Hugo Strange. Yeah, which who, is pretty again, cool. We haven't too. seen since his episode in b Yeah, and I don't think we see him again. I, I think I read a note that this is um, like the last episode before the Bat Embargo. Yep, just a cameo here. Like he, I guess, was set up to have a larger role down the line, but the Bat Embargo like went fully into effect basically right after this and like all of the Batman villains stopped appearing anywhere. Great. Uh, which is such a shame you know it, it really sucks when you have to like you know take off the board your best collection of rogues which is the batman
1: group because the rest of them are kind of. well i think it it gives you a chance to not use them as a pillar like use them to hold yourself up that's true yeah like a crutch yes that's the better word yes <laughs> uh this um uh, I am tr- I was trying to watch this episode from the lens of 2005. Okay. Because nowadays it's almost laughable to say like Americans are the good guys in any <laughs> scenario. But this is Aww. a like fresh 9-11 world where like yeah. this is in the middle of the war on fear and the war on terror. Yeah. And so like there's a lot of parallels between Cadmus and Waller and the American government. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's. It's funny now, uh thinking about that, but you know, at the time, like these like these were real conversations wa- these were real like
0: scenarios, yeah, but did did Eiling actually drop the Patriot act when he was that am I just making that up when he basically tells Milo like, here's the re- here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take all your research and like just like push you off in some little corner ignore you does he actually name drop the patriot Act or mine? i, I just... don't think
1: he specifically
0: says patriot act but okay. it's basically what they do yeah, yeah he's basically saying like we can just do whatever he we wants. So we're going yeah, you're going to gonna be a pencil pusher now and we're just going to take your stuff yeah which milo sees it sees it um yeah and he's like milo's not thrilled about that and then so he decides he's going to go release doomsday we get the full backstory on doomsday um which i guess in this context is probably a retcon although maybe they had this idea to some degree in mind with justice lords i would suspect not but that doomsday in fact didn't just come from space randomly like we saw in that episode he was created from a sample of superman's dna which we've seen they've been trying to do cloning with him for a while with bizarro and galatea tangentially so like they created him from superman and then they basically like did a full clockwork orange like force your eyes open and program you to hate superman thing um until they realized that he was no longer controllable so they tried to shoot him into space to get rid of him and that failed and he came back down to earth and then that's when he encountered the justice lords league and got lobotomized so it's a different it's a slightly different origin on doomsday who if i recall from the comics really just is like a creature from space that happens to land there
1: well he is it's it's a similar origin it's just instead of him being an alien he's just created on earth yeah and I, I guess because he's specifically made from Superman. Yeah, that is different. But his original creation, if I remember correctly, is he was just created as, like, a doomsday monster. Like, he's meant yeah. to go and win wars. Right, yeah. And anything that he that kills him, he is revived without that weakness again.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Man, that's really fucking cool, actually. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, doomsday is super cool, and it's still always a little bit weird when he speaks. Yeah. It's just a little bit off putting that being said though, like he can be done really well and they've done him really well here. And just every time I see dooms, they done well either in this or in either of the death of Superman animated adaptations. I'm like, man, they really fucking dropped the ball on Batman versus Superman. Like, you know, and I'll even give them like his origin coming from like the body of Zod, the Kryptonian thing. Like there's enough, tie in there at works they do that here but just like he has such a cool aesthetic and they just completely abandon it to make him this like weird gross generic looking blobby thing yeah they even took away his mullet how dare they what does Zack snyder have against mullets we
1: want the mullet cut yeah still forever (laughs) how do the snyder cut people where's the mullet
0: cut people bring them back like the kind of guy that would put people with mullets in his movies in fact You know, it's just like it's a style that's just not really to anyone's taste, but it's his. So he's going to do it anyways. It's very much a mullet. I don't know. I feel like he's so focused on like
1: everyone in this movie has to be at peak attractiveness at all times.
0: Well, if that's the case, then why make Doomsday so fucking ugly?
1: Because he's not a real person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If he can't make them hot, then make them the most gross. You know what? You're not entirely wrong. That does probably fit. Not to shit on Zack Snyder. That probably fits in his ethos a little bit. If you're not, like, godlike hot, what's the point? There was a uh, a video that popped up this morning
1: before coming over here that was talking about, maybe you saw it this week, mm-hmm. uh, how in the current MCU standards, um, superheroes are hot but not sexy.
0: I, don't, I and didn't they, see this. What? They,
1: it, it was a really interesting analysis of how they, like... Um, they're not immature. That's not the right word. But every every good character in the MCU isn't allowed to be sexual. Oh, okay. That is, f- is fully reserved for the villains. Thor is hot, but Loki is sexy. Hela is sexy. Uh, the ones that are kind of ambiguous are the ones that can kind of be in both worlds. Valkyrie gets those, like, sexual moments. Okay. While Thor is not allowed
0: to really have that. I... I might have to watch it just to understand how they're differentiating hot and sexy because I'm not quite I'm not quite getting it. But like 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 as in by them being defined as sexy they are allowed to be like sexual in some capacities? I that? think so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, cuz there's a, there's a, a a constant criticism about the MCU that it's very um non-sexual. Yeah. Like I think there's only been to my recollection like one sex scene and that's basically just the very beginning of iron man one when he sleeps with christine everhart mm-hmm. and i think after that i think pretty much nothing ever happens again. right but then uh, you have like that shot of valkyrie when
1: she's in uh <clears throat> jeff goldblum's ship shooting the laser oh and yeah. it's very much like a phallic representation
0: okay i'll, I'll i mean I, I yeah i'll have to watch the video because all i know is just like everyone in the mcu is is super hot
1: yes they, they're good at that part
0: yeah nailed it exactly hello shang chi uh also hello captain marvel with her like short haircut from endgame bisexual icon right there <laughs> here for all of it um how did this how did this come from doomsday because doomsday is the sex figure all oh, right because <laughs> superman's hot but doomsday is sexy doomsday is sexy uh yeah and he he kills milo as he should he, he's yeah. like you made moon of the wolf <laughs> Gonna crush your yeah, what all of us <laughs> wanted to do four <laughs> years ago. Just crush your school, and then uh, you know, he's off to go kill Len Wine, but first he's gonna find Superman. Um, but yeah, so the the league is trying to evacuate uh, this the, this island. There's a volcano about ready to erupt. I I liked this sequence a lot because it gave us a chance to see the league acting heroic in a way that's not explicitly tied into fighting supervillains, like, and this. That's kind of universally universally true across almost all of the DCU. Like, even thinking back to Superman, I don't remember a lot of times where we had an extended sequence of Superman just doing heroic feats to save people. I feel like it's pretty much always been him against some sort of villain. It makes sense. that all short episodes. There's only so much room to, like, pad out. Yeah, they always have to punch something. Exactly, yeah, this is, I mean, he's, I guess, punching the ground to, like, make channels for the volcano to flow, but it was It was fun to see them having to evacuate the island, Superman trying to redirect the flow of lava, the team coordinating together to try and do something that's not explicitly just punching someone, which we don't We don't get to see very often, and I, I almost wonder if that was a deliberate inclusion here, almost, like, to show... Within the course of this episode, the two very extremes of the league, which is in this moment they're acting altruistically heroic to try and save people, and at the very end we see them like the most godlike and um, judging and judgmental they've ever been. Yeah, that, that's a good. That's a great comparison. Yeah, because it is a bit. It's a big swing here. Like no one's throwing punches until Doomsday shows up, and then he kind of started the fight. So it it puts them in a way of making it seem them like they're a little more on the heroic side. Um, but what I also found is interesting is that only goes so far because once that fight starts going between Superman and Doomsday, Superman ends up trying to lobotomize him. Yeah, he crosses the line. Yeah, he pulls the card that felt crazy when Justice Lord Superman did it, because we didn't think ours would ever do it. And I guess this version is aware of that event. That happened already, that that's what Justice Lord Superman had to do, and so he decides, I guess, he has no choice, but it's not a moment that's super highlighted in all this episode, but we as an need are like, oh fuck, like, this is the start of a very slippery slope. Yeah, because it's pretty, it, this whole episode is actually very intense, but especially that moment would have jumped out to me. To your point, it does also allude to the fact, because Doomsday says, like, that won't kill me again. Not explicitly stating that's his power set as he adapts to things that previously killed him. But it's maybe a nod to that idea of, like, you tried this once before, it's not going to work again.
1: Right. And Doomsday is actively going for the eyes for for every punch. Like, he's trying to blind Superman with every. And I don't remember. I'm sure the original model had it. But those like knuckle spikes. I think so.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's usually part of his design. I'm pretty sure it would have been part of his design. The old one. Yeah. Well, now he's just making use of them. Yeah. Now he's he's really. There's no open. Really? There's no open hand in this fight. It is full closed fist. Yeah. Really making use of it. So, but you know, it's shit's going crazy. They realize that doomsday is there, and I love this. So then Batman tries to get waller to like call off oh I know what is it oh no 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 sorry I'm, I have my order of events slightly off she dis- she realizes that doomsday has escaped and is on this island and so she tells Eiling like go clean up your mess and she should probably be a bit more specific because she isn't and so Eiling decides to shoot a nuclear tipped sorry a kryptonite tipped nuclear bomb nuclear yeah. missile at the island and once they discover that's happening I love this moment where batman calls her on the president's exclusive line because she even answers hello mr president and it's batman and she's just pissed that he got the number again the pissing contest between the two of them is absolutely non-stop they're so petty and i fucking love it yes uh but then we get batman doing his recreation of the Starcross finale once again i'm batman i must go do it myself uh because they realize that okay Somehow... I I did the math on this. Okay, okay, yeah, somehow Captain Adam wouldn't be able to get there in time. So uh, walk us through how this is supposed to make sense. So Captain Adam
1: is on the west coast, I think they say. I think they say he's like in San Francisco or something around there. Okay. Uh, We don't really know where... San Vicento?
0: San Uh, Vicento?
1: It doesn't matter. Yeah, we Uh, don't know where the island is. Yeah. But Batman complains that his top speed is only Mach 2. Yeah. Which is 1,535 miles an hour. Which is fucking fast yeah but then i googled (laughs) what is the fastest missile we have and i could only find information for current day i couldn't find anything for 2005 but we can assume the technology of 2005 is slightly
0: ahead of our 2005 yeah i think we could assume that yeah that the technology of 2005 era dcau is probably comparable to ours you know five minutes in the future sort of thing yeah uh so the current fastest missile is mach 5 oh okay
1: 3,800 miles an hour okay after hearing that i'm a little more lenient to batman's math so
0: okay so i can believe i can believe that the missile would be faster than captain adam sure now here's the thing they have zeta tube technology that was my big thing yes which up to this point we haven't yet seen that they can do point-to-point teleportation. They've only basically teleported people to and from the, the pad on the watchtower. No, the first episode, they pull up uh, Green Arrow from the convenience store. Right, but he lands on the, the pad. Yeah, we only know they can go up. Right. So, like, exactly. So so we have not yet them seen the ability to, like, take someone from one place and teleport them up and then instantly back down somewhere else. We will see that coming up soon. So that like I guess they will just ignore that it didn't have that capability over here. But what I have a hard time believing is that it's still faster for Batman to somehow drop a plane out of the watchtower, enter Earth's atmosphere and get there first. I mean, I guess, I guess if it was perfectly aligned right above the island, which I guess they would pr- if they probably have some control of their orbit, they might do that. They might like navigate the watchtower towards a crisis potentially. So maybe I can kind of buy it. It the 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 method physics seems a little bit far fetched. Yeah, because him just
1: running from the watchtower to the hangar feels like the time it would take for a thirty eight mile thirty eight hundred mile an hour missile to just missile hit its target. Because he's like he's fast, sure. We'll say his top speed is maybe twenty five
0: miles an hour. Yeah. So you know, I'll, I mean, it's a little bit incredulous, but I have to say that whole sequence is really good it's really good like him like him realizing there's no time like running through the watchtower base like yelling like clear the hangar which if you are anyone else in the league and you just do whatever batman says no one's gonna argue with him like oh shit i'm, I'm getting out of the way i'm so sorry batman yeah sorry sir yes sorry. sir yes he gets into one of the the javelins and like plummets down like hits earth's atmosphere like deliberately going fast potentially endangering like burning up just so we can catch the momentum whatever to get down there and then the whole sequence of him essentially not being able to shoot down the missile having to magnetically connect to the top of like over the top of it and there's that moment when batman's on the comms with jean and says like oh it's it's magnetically shielded against missiles like oh well you could polarize the whole whatever um and there's this this kind of exchange where Jean knows that what he's telling Batman to do will probably kill him. And Batman recognizing that is also true and not even hesitating for a moment just like, okay, got it. And go to do it. It was like, damn it, they they keep writing these moments that should be ridiculous of making Batman like the coolest, most absurd person in this entire universe. And it fucking works every single time. Every time. It gets me every single time.
1: So we get The what's the the name of it? The something gun. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun moment where Waller name drops the laser in the watchtower.
0: Oh, do
1: you think they should have at least thought about using the laser to stop the missile? Like what if one of the other leaguers mentioned that and then Batman's like, no, we can't do
0: that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess they, they did name drop it. And, you know, that's a good point. And they they could have justified it. Be like, we can't run the risk of losing power to the tower, like the watchtower. Because we did see that it's a it's a it takes the entire energy of the watchtower to fire at once. And yeah, and they're they, out for an hour. Yeah, they're blacked out for an hour, which in the middle of a crisis is not a good idea. Um, you're right. They probably should have had like a moment of being like, no, we can't do that. We'll we'll lose. We can't lose the tower right now, or something like that. Yeah,
1: I mean, like it's also just a missile. They might be able to do like a half power shot. Yeah. Again, shooting a new, nu- my biggest problem with this is sh- gunning down a nuclear bomb.
0: <laughs> well, and the the thing is like, even when they, Batman is able to to grab it and fly it off, he still basically does, gets it far enough away from the island. That it's not going to detonate on the island, but it still detonates. Yeah. Which is pretty nuts. And like that, it, it, that's like one of those weird things, like in a superhero universe, so for some reason like that's not a big deal. Like again, for those of you who don't remember, a nuclear bomb goes off in the middle of Batman versus Superman. You just don't remember because so much other shit happens in that movie. That's right. It, right? Yeah, because they pull it ex- directly from The Dark Knight Returns. And I will give The Dark Knight Returns the comic credit. Is when that happens, it plummets like the entire Western Hemisphere into like a post-nuclear fallout winter. So like it's not irradiated necessarily, but like the the sky is darkened by the debris, I guess, or whatever. And so, like, at least they do acknowledge that there is actual, real-world consequences that going off, and there's also like some of the political ramifications too as part of that story. But here, they just no one just like, even acknowledges that a nuclear bomb just went off, like probably only a handful of miles away from that island. I mean, they evacuate everyone, but the island gets destroyed not only by a tidal wave, but would probably also be irradiated. Yeah, given its proximity as would probably batman but i guess he's inside the javelin which is i mean it's, shielded? it's so. so fast so 3800 miles an hour
1: if we'll say it takes it 2 minutes to from when batman ejects to when it when it goes off yeah. cuz he kind of pulls up a little bit my thought is like have captain adam on the comms and just like point the javelin in whatever direction he's coming in and just have captain adam like catch it as he just keeps running oh, one direction, yeah, like just time it for that perfect catch.
0: But you know, that's that's a little too far beyond like superhero logic. Um, but I guess you're right. I guess we could presume that after that bomb goes off, Captain Adam does show up to the scene and absorb all the radiation from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's always an option. So okay, so maybe okay,
1: it's not on quite on. as. Where's inc- my calculator?
0: <laughs> not quite as incredulous as I as I uh, as I
1: thought it was. I don't know the radius of a nuclear bomb. Maybe this is like a full-size nuclear bomb. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if if it takes two, it's not two minutes, but we're going to estimate two minutes from when it misses the island before it detonates. Yeah. That's 126
0: miles away. Okay. So that, like, it's plausible. But at that point, it's not going that speed because the javelin has picked it up, and we presume the javelin probably can't do Mach 5. Well, we know it got down there. Because we know, like, it it broke up at that speed. Like, it, it blew
1: up because the javelin couldn't hold that speed for that long. Yeah, I get. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll say it. it we'll say it cleared about eighty to hundred
0: miles. We're we're trying very hard to make this this comic book world make sense. Look, anytime yes. I get numbers, it automatically makes it more real. I know. Maybe we should have called you the calculator. Hey, I'll take it. Said <laughs> the animator. Um, but yeah, so. Ultimately, the only way Superman is able to stop Doomsday is he punches him into the the volcano and basically encases him in a lava flow. Um, and so at that point, like the crisis is essentially resolved. Um, like they evacuated the island. They've stopped the bomb from killing Superman. So now they're up at the watchtower. They have Doomsday encased in you know the, the hardened lava rock. Um, and they're basically trying to figure out what to do with him. And he says, like, he's never going to stop trying to kill him. So Superman basically decides that he has no choice but to send him to the phantom zone, which I think, I think if I recall, this is essentially the first time that that is used as a a form of punishment. I know that, um, Jax, Ur and Mala ended up back in the phantom zone. I can't remember if Superman was one that sent him there or not. I'm pretty sure he did. Okay. I think we've seen this device once before. Yeah. I think this is the first time we've seen it since then. Um, but, yeah, like, like we talked about at the top of the episode, like the the art design of this sequence is very, very deliberate because like how, how would you describe the throne the throne room they're in? I mean, it's very oh, ominous. It's, it's very dark.
1: There's yeah. no because every time we see the Justice League rooms, they're always bright pops of color everywhere. like their table is bright yellow. Their are night the round yeah. table
0: moment, and they ha- usually we're in a room that has windows out to space, so there's like there's some like quote unquote natural light coming through, yeah. But this is, yeah, I mean, this is a, uh, a like, medieval throne room. Yeah. It it sort of reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, like, the Guardians of the Green Lantern core a little bit. Like, this elevated platform, high-backed walls kind of encircling it. The difference there is at least that is, like, very bright and green and colorful. This is all just, like, drab gray. Yeah. You, know, you feel like there's, like, one kind of, like, single spotlight up in the very top that's just vaguely illuminating everything below it. Yeah, and they're also little green people. So
1: there's Okay, yeah, so maybe some of the threats. I feel is... like, yeah, there's much less. <laughs> I, they're all powerful and all-knowing, but there's definitely much less of a threat when it's just like an old, small green
0: guy in a red robe yeah. sitting in a throne that's 20 feet high. Okay, fair. Maybe it doesn't have quite the same impact. Yeah. Um, but what, what's also interesting is that that room seemingly is has the Phantom Zone projector stored in it for this exact purpose again we'll we'll, we'll give them a little bit creative license for the sake of simplicity in a cartoon but it's implied at least that that's kind of what this room is designed for mm-hmm. it's such like a judgment chamber um and the only so there's only six seats so this would have been like i guess built pre shairas return and i guess we can kind of assume they would just add a chair for her but the <laughs> just imagine just like wheeling in a chair on the side <laughs> just like a very squeaky chair they wheel it it's lower than everyone else
1: yeah it's, like it's a...
0: wildcat dragging it in bumbling uh, the whole time it's more like a stenographer seat that they've just <laughs> said, well here you go but yeah it's there's only the six seats but one of them's empty because bruce is recovering from his injuries um so he's not there when they decide to send doomsday into the phantom zone but he knows what they've done because then Superman and Wonder Woman show up in um, Recovery Bay, and it's Bruce out of costume. He's got like the neck brace and everything, and you know, watching TV. And and uh, he, this is where we really see that he gets where Waller's coming from. He's like, "You sent him to the Phantom Zone, didn't you?" It's like, "All right, now we're just now we're just gods passing judgment over everyone else." And Superman kind of tries to defuse. The situation is like, hey, like, you know, if you ever get out of line, you, you always got that kryptonite ring you keep around. And Bruce is not having it. He's like, you don't get to joke about this. And again, in an overall, like really intense episode, just in terms of what's at stake and the, and the beats and the moments, like from an emotional perspective, like this is one of the most intense moments I think we've had in the entire universe of like Bruce, who is not the joking kind, is really not fucking around now at this point. Like this is I'd say the most serious we've ever seen him. And that is saying something.
1: Yeah. I mean, this this is a great episode. Like, if you wanted to jot in a movie right here, you lead this episode into Justice League War. Yeah. Or Doom. Sorry, Justice League Doom. Mm-hmm. Where like this is when Batman has the
0: the um the plans for if any league member goes bad. Oh, yeah. And that actually would make a lot of sense because he's not going to go join Cadmus, although I was reading up on trivia that I guess that was an idea they had in the writer's room on this of Batman leaves the league to go join Cadmus and then like either eventually like separates from them to forms his own league of non-superpowered peoples with like Wildcat and Huntress and everyone else batman um, incorporated batman Acor- essentially it would have been like a precursor get a bunch of children <laughs> yeah exactly just a bunch of orphans it's like it would have been a precursor to batman incorporated but the the note i read was that the writers couldn't find a way to have him do that and not come off as a villain so they ultimately kept him with the league but i think your point makes the most amount of sense is like batman's not going to go join cadmus but he also doesn't trust the league so what's he do what does batman always do does it makes a plan does it himself makes yeah. a plan he does it himself it's like, all right if no one else can take this seriously i'm gonna go do this um and yeah actually i mean that that could have been a Justice Unlimited season three. Actually, that whole idea of you could have taken like that Doom storyline and like made a, a multi-episode arc about it in that season. That would have been incredible. That would have been really, really cool, actually. Yeah, because you you set up the first few episodes where like
1: they do the teams. You have kind of one leader. They get separated and then they lose. Yeah, and it takes Batman two or three episodes to realize like, oh shit, these are my plans. Mm-hmm. And then you have this distrust between him and the league. Like that'd be incredible to make
0: that a whole series. Yeah. Also, I just realized that I we we did just technically try and stretch this out into multiparter. multi-parter. I'm not gonna blow up your head though, because it was I, your idea. I, I suggested it first. Yes. <laughs> so
1: I am just as you implanted the bomb, I implanted, I, I uh, inserted the idea. <laughs> you inserted the idea. <laughs> but it did not come out of my mouth. Wait, does that mean I have to blow up my own head? No, the rules only for me. Okay, fine. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm allowed to be a hypocrite. Thank God. Did you give yourself a bomb as of well? Of course. Okay. <laughs> it's the Suicide Squad. Yeah, Equal Opportunity Evil.
0: Oh, yes. uh, but I I love this episode. Yeah. I think, I think it's one of the best. We're in it Yeah. now. Oh, it's I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's super intense, super fun. A lot happens, but it never feels like overly packed or rushed. Um, that's oh, great. It's so good. Uh any other thoughts on this? Or should we mosey on to some task force X?
1: Uh, let me double check my notes if my phone will log me in. Uh,
0: I think that's pretty much everything. All right. So on our way then to, uh, Task Force X, uh, which is never referred to as the Suicide Squad in this cartoon because it is at the end of the day still a children's cartoon. But, uh, in this we have Colonel Rick Flag recruiting a team of supervillains to break into the watchtower and steal a valuable piece of equipment. Really what could possibly go wrong? Not much actually if you think about it. They mostly get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. This I also love this episode. I
1: I think this might be my favorite episode so far. It, it's it it's
0: incredible. It is. I mean, it's I as I'm watching I'm like this is basically just Mission Impossible done in this universe and they do such a good job of it. Even the music to me feels like they're going for a very specific tone that felt kind of like 60s spy capery which oh my god, if you're if you're trying to get me on board with something Give me an allusion to 60s spy first. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it was a very nice blend of, like, Mission Impossible and Ocean's Eleven. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, and, um, right, so, I mean, it's pretty obvious what the setup here is. Like, this is the one time we see Task Force X, a.k.a. better known as the Suicide Squad, in the DCAU. Um, And the team this time is uh, Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot, who's pretty much a staple. He's always in there. Um, We also get oh, Captain Boomerang. Seventy five cents and seventy five cents. do <laughs> to throw
1: away money. It's <laughs> actually pretty
0: good. That was a pretty good impression.
1: Well, he's it's a bad
0: accent to begin with. It is, it is a bad. It's a bad. I can accent. do a
1: bad Australian.
0: Yeah. Um. It's also fun too because Michael Rosenbaum is once again voicing Deadshot, whose last appearance would have been The Enemy Below, like way back in the very beginning of Justice League. So it's fun to see him come back around again. Um. We then have uh, Plastique, who. Maybe I'll just remember her from this, but I feel like I've maybe read a comic with her somewhere. But she's an explosive person. Yes. Yeah, explosive person. With an explosive personality. Ooh, there we go. Uh we get the return of the Clock King, aka Temple Fugit. I
1: he's incredible. I I don't understand why he's not in the Suicide Squad more. He's so cool. Yeah. As the like the behind the scenes guy, yeah. as as their
0: oracle. The guy in the chair. Yeah. He's great. He's yes. I love him so much because I mean, who better to have like in your earpiece? Than, like you have 33 seconds left. Yeah. It, he's so annoying. <laughs> yes. And you love him for it, though. Exactly. He, he's so perfect for that. Uh, so well, that's it. And then Colonel Rick Flagg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a small the, team. Well, small team. Four of them actually go up to the tower. Uh, Clock King stays behind to be the, the man on comms. Um, also return of Adam Baldwin as Rick Flagg great making all those cameo appearances um yes basically they go and they like knock out a a team of four people that are getting teleported up who work on the watchtower they go up in their place and the 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 plan is basically twofold one is deadshot and plastique are going to go and basically put a bunch of bombs on the nuclear reactor at the heart of the watchtower a lot of nuclear talk in these two episodes a lot lot of nuclear talk well 2005 Very progressive very 2005 um they're going to go set off a bomb then there which i can imagine it would only just destroy the whole fucking thing. The fact that it doesn't is insane. And then while they're doing that, Boomerang and Flag are gonna go and steal something from the, um, basically like, the vault built in the Watchtower, which stores a bunch of things they've reclaimed over the course of their adventures. And there's there's a lot of fun little Easter eggs in there. It almost kind of reminded me of like uh, the Room of Requirement in Harry Potter when it's just filled with shit. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of stuff stuffed in there, or like or even. In Batman and Robin, there's like that brief shot of the the locker at Arkham Asylum, the story Mr. Freeze's suit. But you get like the Riddler's costume over there and you get like Two Faces costume.
1: I don't remember that. Yeah, that's
0: great because I was comparing it to um, in Young
1: Justice. Kid Flash always takes a souvenir for every. mission. Oh, they're on. OK.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's also kind of like that, too. So let's look, see like some of the stuff they have in there is uh, they have a Gorilla City hover bike. From when Grodd was doing his thing, so uh, had to be Flash all that for sure. Oh, you know, hundred percent he did. Actually, I think a lot of these are stolen by Flash. Yeah, it's that it's Weather Wizard's wand. Um, we get X's battle suit, like the the purple and green battle suit that he always wore in the early yep. seasons of Justice League. Um, pieces of Toyman's giant robot from Hereafter when he quote unquote kills Superman. Um, a bunch of like Thanagarian weapons, and then I guess a piece of a giant robot. Um. Luther built too, but it's like it's fun little nods, fun little Easter eggs all throughout there. But they're there, they are there, to steal the annihilator. Yes, which we last saw in Hawk and Dove. So I guess it's a good thing we included Hawk and Dove oh, in our. Yeah, and yeah, and I yeah the I didn't Hawk and Dove is definitely one of the lesser episodes of that season, and I guess it comes back around full circle here with this thing. Um. I feel like the annihilator is kind of not that interesting of a thing for them to steal. But from a plot perspective, it also gives them this like giant walking robot to go and fight a bunch of leaguers. that's trying to get out of there.
1: Yeah. It puts them on the same level for sure.
0: It is interesting that they had a very stealthy plan to get in and a not at all stealthy plan to get out, which was just like beat their way through the league to get to the teleporter and teleport out of there. Yeah. I,
1: because I was definitely thinking that halfway through. Because I forgot they were stealing the annihilator. I thought Same. they were going to steal the um, the Phantom Zone zapper. Oh, that would have been what is it
0: called? The Phantom Zone
1: projector. <laughs> projector. Yeah, <laughs> not the zapper. Thank you. Yes. I mean, it does look like a late '90s overhead projector. It actually does. It actually looks a lot like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. You you you're you're old enough to remember like overhead projector slides. Oh, of course. Oh, okay. I yeah. just, I just always assume you're a child.
1: I went to a very, I don't want to, that's very rude to say, say I went to a poor middle school. I went to a, a middle school
0: that lost a lot of money. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah. Oh, overhead projectors. But mm-hmm. yeah, it does kind of look like that. So now they have, they have the thing, they got to like smash the way out of there. Um, and boy, do they. Do they. Like there, there's a pretty fun sequence where it's, what is it? So it's the whole task force X on the station with the annihilator and they go up against Adam Smasher, Shining Knight and Vigilante. I felt so bad for them. For the, the league members. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't stand a chance. I mean, they do a pretty good job. Like they, they go toe to toe with them for quite a while. It's, a, it's an extended fight. Like, and Hey, Vigilante is able to destroy, um, Deadshot's ceramic gun pretty quickly. So I had a thing about that Okay Because I forgot it's Oh it's a laser gun
1: Because it's a kid's show It's a kid's show Yeah Because my thought is It's a ceramic gun I feel like ceramic Is not known specifically For it's like sturdiness As, as a material That's a real thing though Is it? Ceramic guns Yeah That's, I think so I can understand like a plastic gun Because that can at least like Absorb some of the impact That goes off when shooting a bullet But ceramics I imagine just Crack
0: with every shot um, let me see let me let me see ceramic gun yeah do ceramic guns exist uh it's a porcelain gun made in germany according to research the problem isn't that the porcelain gun is expensive is that it's oh it's imaginary well yeah there is no such thing as an entirely ceramic handgun they're so fragile ceramics are like infamously fra- fragile um i I guess it's featured in like gta online i guess it's not a real thing but again this universe five minutes in the future but that's they they have have ceramics aren't a future invention (laughs) they have perfected laser guns (laughs) again when i saw it's a laser i'm more on board i guess yeah i mean i i don't know i don't know i'm not gonna bother trying to look too hard to see if it's a real thing just because i don't want my personal fbi agent to know that i'm looking up ceramic firearms um but I mean, yeah, I think we can. That's their way of being like it got through the metal detector, which never actually go through metal detector at any point. So I don't know. Maybe it's like as they're being teleported through. Yeah. There's a
1: it, a space metal detector.
0: It is, it is kind of funny because they they sneak a bunch of stuff on board. It's actually very clever how they do it. So Deadshot hides the pieces of his ceramic gun inside like the little uh, little candy wrappers, and it's the same candy wrappers. Um, light speed energy bars, the one that the flash was hawking in that that's episode. hilarious
1: i missed that note
0: um and then like plastique has basically taped a bunch of like plastic explosive to her her abdomen and then put like fake skin over the top of it which she peels away and then captain boomerang has like bands on his arms underneath the shirt sleeve that he rolls up and it's got a bunch of boomerangs like inside of them so they all found ways to bring in weapons like but at no point did they actually go through metal detectors so i don't know why they were having to do this whole charade and i'm assuming mean, like a just in case I guess, but I also kind of assume that boomerang and plastic probably also have some sort of metal in their stuff, so... I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. Right, we don't
1: know what the... Also, they have bombs in them. (laughs) They have bombs! Like, I feel like that is the biggest weapon there, is their bombs in their heads.
0: (laughs) I mean, if if they really want to be super secure, what they do is they just have Superman just stand there, and every single person that comes aboard just gives them a quick little x-ray scan, like, you're good. You're good. Do you think they have to take their shoes off yes they do of course they do post 9-11 of course they're taking their shoes off i think i think the joke is
1: that like it is a post 9-11 like we all know the woes of dealing with the metal detectors yes
0: exactly um but yeah so like they're thinking way through and then yeah so they get that that big fight sequence which is i mean it goes on for quite a while and it's fun to see those three league members kind of get a moment I remember you, you, we did, like, a little recap on Vigilante and Shining Knight and, like, their last appearance. And I think we even said, like, I don't think they ever show up again. And they got a whole little scene here.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess someone sent it. I think Sam sent in a note. You know, we get a whole moment with Shining Knight yeah. later. We're never accurate in what we say.
0: We right. just say things and don't bother to back it up with, like, research or confidence. That's what y'all are for. Exactly. The listeners. <laughs> you can write in and let us know. And I see the message almost a month later. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so.
0: But, I mean, did you enjoy like that little battle of the?
1: Oh, it was so good. Yeah. At, like we never see Adam Smasher. No. And so him like thinking he can go, and also I feel like they're all overhyped because they mentioned Adam Smasher is like the Bruiser of the League. Yeah. And then he goes down with
0: a punch. Yeah, right. <laughs> it it is kind of interesting because when they're running through the mission, like oh the league the tower will be mostly empty, which it's far from, and they say that the three people you have to worry about are captain adam who is really kind of in the background of all of this like barely even shows up at any point so well he's, he's like, the one that kind of notices that it's it's sabotage oh that's true because he yeah, goes cause he goes down to absorb the nuclear yeah. energy um green lantern who again like after the bombs go off he's just on evacuation duty but there is that really fun moment when <sighs> Plastique and Deadshot are in the elevator and he's like, hold the elevator and gets on. And it's just this like moment of awkward silence. And it's kind of fun because up to that point, Deadshot has been so arrogant and like so heavily flirting with Plastique, like this whole chemistry going between the two of them. And they they're just like stopped and just shocked for a moment. And you think it's gonna be completely silent until Deadshot being the fucking brick that he is, has to just turned the screw. It's like, oh hey, like GL my wife's been asking for hot girls autograph do you know where she is what he's such a dick (laughs) he's such a dick like again they do such a good job this episode of completely flipping the POV so when it's away from the league and towards task force x like that moment's intense because we know green lantern's like an antagonist to the story we're following which is fucking brilliant, and the fact that like we are just like in suspense, like oh my god, is, are they gonna get caught in this moment by him? It's so, so clever. Also, he makes a construct.
1: That's true. He, he makes a hand to hold the door open, He little, little <laughs> <laughs> like a little
0: hand. <laughs> um, but then the you know the last leaguer that they're warned about is Jean, which this is interesting too. It's the only time in the entire DCAU that someone refers to him as the Martian Manhunter. Oh wow. Yeah. Because he even says, like John Jones, aka the Martian Manhunter, whose powers are like super strong, flight, he can phase through things, he can read your mind, he's a shapeshifter. And like they set him up like, oh, he's like the real threat at the end of the day. And sure as shit, like when they're trying to escape, they've gotten through Adam Smasher, they've gotten through everyone else. The only person left to stop them, because most of the tower evacuated, is Jean. And it's like him in full-on badass mode, taking full use his powers like phasing through stuff, shape-shifting. He even gets torn in half at one point by the annihilator and like thrown to other side and that only takes him a moment and just like rebuild himself because he's a fucking shape-shifter so that's not going to kill him. Yeah, but that's still gruesome. It is. And it... added to the list of I mean... non-humanoid <laughs> death. I mean, he didn't die. He didn't die, but brutal things can happen as long as you're not human. Um, but it's, it's cool to see him set up as like the most... Really, in some ways, one of the most powerful leaguers, and actually see that play out in in reality, and that he is a real threat. He's he's the boss level over the course of this whole thing. He's the final boss, and the only thing that stops him ultimately is Plastique threatening to put a bomb inside the Smasher's mouth. giant skull, <laughs> yeah. giant mouth. Um, And then even then, the only way Task Force X gets out of there is because Deadshot shoots the plastic explosive to cause a distraction and they leave Plastique behind. We don't even know whether she died or not. We see that she's, like, really gravely injured. She's not dead yet, but she could end up dying. We don't know. Yeah, I feel like they allude to her dying. Yeah. Because, like, Captain Adam is not happy when he sees her body. No. I mean, it's, you know, it's a really effective moment. I mean, because there's been this flirtation between the two of them all the way along. She's dead shot in and he's the one that basically kills her, yeah. whether she dies or not. Like, that's basically his intent. It's like, well, we got to get out of here, so I don't give a shit. Boom. Yeah, I mean, he put the mission first. He did, and himself. Like, the true American he is. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're ultimately able to get away with the Annihilator, and they they sabotage the, the Zeta Beam so they can't um, be followed. Um, but I mean, the, the button on all of this, though, at the very end, well, there's, I guess, two buttons. One is Deadshot's like, all right, peace out. This has been great. Five's <laughs> like, oh, fuck, no. We've got you for five years. Like, you're signed on now. We never see them again because they just didn't do anything else with task force X really. Um, But like, that's the one And the second button is GL realizing like, Oh, we can't trust anyone now on this watchtower, which we have some, for some reason decided to staff with just a bunch of random people.
1: Yeah. So I, you have so many heroes that can, you know, no one will, no one wants to do the chores, but you can, you can make them do some chores yeah you don't need a full battalion of paid
0: like humans on yeah. board well because it does raise kind of interesting question which is why were there not support staff on the original watchtower like i mean i get this is a bigger tower and this just shows this like the scale of it that we now have just like staff working there but like a lot of the things the staff would be needed for here we would have needed someone in the past like what like maintaining the facility in terms of like the nuclear reactor and like just keeping a fucking space station in orbit and probably helping to like clean up the place a little bit who was doing that before probably the flash alfred i just realized oh it yeah was, alfred. <laughs> alfred but it was before everyone knew who he was so it was just alfred in disguise or batman would have to wait until he had monitor duty and everyone was gone was like, okay alfred come up we need you to go like scrub the toilets i like to imagine <laughs> bruce made
1: alfred wear the bat suit while he cleaned and so everyone
0: looked like oh it's just
1: batman but so he could never face them so just the back of batman it's like the costume's a little saggier than usual it's an ill-fitting bat suit (laughs) then he's brooming Mm -hmm. sweeping up the place and then they'll like go into the 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 lookout space yeah and they see bruce again he's like didn't i just couldn't have yeah (laughs) Did, did bruce make us tea And these
0: lovely little cucumber sandwiches. Bruce, your baking skills are impeccable. Yeah. You make a hell of a souffle. Would not have expected that from you. But then again, you're Batman. You can do everything. Uh, But
1: I think, as we've mentioned before, the biggest difference between old watchtower and new watchtower, they need someone to clean those hallway showers. That's that. Whoa, 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 yeah.
0: Stuff's happening in those hallway showers. Yeah. It's actually between Black Canary and Green Arrow. It's it's getting freaky now. (laughs) It's mostly just the two of them. Yeah. They've had written warnings. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but i mean look overall i think this episode is super fun it's so different than anything else we've gotten before it's like this cool little like one-off little mini genre piece um but like i guess in the long run doesn't have like super big stakes for the dcau but it's just really really fun
1: yeah and you you mentioned you you kind of offhand mentioned this this would be an amazing video game it would be well hey we're getting a suit so Squad has got video game yeah i so There's something about because, like, we're so conditioned to the suicide squad we have right now where, like, the pillars are Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn. Yeah. And so, not having Harley in this brings a serious tone that we don't really ever get to see while still being, like, lighthearted because, you know, Captain Boomerang doesn't take it seriously, Deadshot doesn't take it seriously, Plastique doesn't take it seriously. But it's still, like, it's so different from any other Suicide Squad we see.
0: Well, I, I think... I'm trying to remember. I think this might have been either right before or right around the time that Harley became part of the Suicide Squad. Because it's had a lot of iterations over the years. I, I feel like it wasn't until around this time that Harley
1: joined it. Okay, this, yeah, this would have been around, like, February 23rd,
0: 2005. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's now, like, a... Um, a significant member but i don't i think that yeah i it's gonna be too hard for me to look it up in this moment but i think it would have been right around that time that now we always know her as being like a a, you know like the suicide squad is basically a vehicle for harley stuff Mm -hmm. i don't think it was quite there yet on this but you're right it does feel odd to not have her be a part of it
1: yeah i mean it's it i don't want to call it refreshing but it's it's so different it is i don't even think
0: of it as the suicide squad well i mean especially because I mean they don't even call it that yeah it's just task force S. It, it feels like its own specific version within this universe yeah like a side branch of the suicide squad yeah but hey there's like captain boomerang in there yeah god to love captain boomerang
1: he's great it, it's unique seeing rick flag be like because everyone kind of makes fun of rick flag in the two live action movies mm-hmm. but in this episode he is the he is the authoritative figure. Yeah. And the rest of them are kind of scared of him for yeah. no reason. Like He's they don't tough. ever show. Yeah. Besides that. Hey, he can punch hard. They don't really show. Well, and he can blow up their brains. That too. That, all, that is also, a, also a good also that, motivator. Yeah. It's a good threat. You're doing a good job with it. I know you're being very good today. Cameron. I yeah, appreciate you're just it. Constantly <laughs> holding that trigger. <laughs> uh? Uh? <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on this? Uh, there's a, a story I was listening to the day before watching this episode, uh, It is known as the greatest heist of the century, Okay, which is there. It was on a podcast. They were making fun of it because this was in 2006. Mm -hmm. So they were very early calling it the greatest heist of the century. Uh, But it it truly is. It was in Argentina, and it was this incredible bank robbery where it was kind of two guys that had never robbed anything before, like saw the flaws in one of this in this huge bank of of, what's the biggest city in Argentina? What's their capital? Um, Uh, Buenos Aires. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in, in Buenos Aires uh, and it I go go look it up it is an incredible feat of like technical skill oh, interesting. what they did to rob this bank with I most of them never got caught huh. and they're just now out of the um statute of limitations yeah all right? Uh, and so now they're all like profiting off of their story God. and they made a movie about this robbery and they're all like they've all come out and talked about the movie and how they think it's so funny that in the movie they had to dramatize so much of it because they were so good in this robbery that like it wouldn't have made an interesting story because everything went. So they were so good. uh, They basically dug a hole under the bank. It was kind of their scheme through the sewer system. Uh, And they were so clean. They made it home, got pizza and watched the watched the police still surrounding the bank as they thought they were still like holding hostages inside. Oh my God. Like that, that's how clean they were like <laughs> three hours ahead of the police.
0: Uh, no, I, I remember, I, I've actually seen that adaptation. I remember cause uh, they, uh, they stole a vault and put it behind a two chargers and drove it to the city.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sounds about right. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Like, please go look up the store. Cause it is, it's like, it's basically a guy that just like to tinker with things. That's awesome. <laughs> just like, yeah, we we could do this. <laughs> do this very easily. Uh, all right. So, so one one very last quick note on mm-hmm. this: it, the 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 end button from the league side. Yeah, is Martian Manhunter being very agitated that they kind of got away with this mm-hmm. while he was on duty, uh, and he wants to basically mind wipe. The, oh, that's right. The mole, yeah, which is again very dark Justice Lord mentality. Yeah, like this is not the league we know. Like. And GL has to kind of talk him down, like, we can't cross that line.
0: Yeah, that's
1: fucked. Yeah, and then opening it up to yeah the bigger like, we can't just trust him. We can't trust anybody now. Yeah,
0: it um, yeah I I forgot about that. But you're right. It that's like the one little thing in because this is all loosely part of the larger Cadmus stuff, kind of um but you're right like that moment though is very much thematically tied into what's happening here which is like we're seeing the league kind of become more and more extreme and like we're like ooh, ooh wow maybe maybe took down a little bit
1: yeah and it's also the first time i can remember we see uh john like show emotion not even just get yeah. angry but show any kind of emotion
0: yeah he's like he's really really angry that they did this yeah mm-hmm. can he be trusted Probably. Probably. Yeah. I think most yeah. of <laughs> it. Yeah. I think, I think pretty good. Yeah, I think we mostly know again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Should we move on to some uh, plugs here? Let's do some plugs. All right. What do you got for us this week, Cameron? Uh, so I've been reading a book. I
1: have oh. done a lot of book
0: plugs. I know. Of, I of know.
1: Um, and this is my
0: first, like, big boy, big book. <laughs> Whatever... Whatever credit you would earn by reading a book, you just lost by calling a big boy book. But by all means, please continue. It's called Everybody Poops. <laughs> it's a
1: good book. It's a good book. Yeah. Uh, it's called The Way of Kings uh, by Brandon Sanderson. Okay. Uh, it's the first book of the Stormlight Archives, and it's it's a very very renowned fantasy series. Okay. He's a very well established fantasy author right now, like very into like high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's most known for his like um, magic power systems, and there's this whole article that I read a couple of years ago about like. Soft magic versus hard magic, kind of like establishing the rules of magic. Yeah, I think I plugged it years ago. Uh, But he's kind of the one that like really brought this to the forefront of conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But The Way of Kings is the first in like a six part series. I call it a big boy book because it's the first book over a thousand pages that I'm reading, and it's daunting. I'm like 350 pages in right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a it's a great read. it's it's pretty smooth. I still don't fully know what's going on yet. Um, uh, but it's it's kind of a character piece for now. Like I still don't know the end goal of any of them. Like, there's no mission they're out on yet. Uh okay. but it basically follows three people. Uh Kaladin, who was a uh soldier turned slave. Um oh what's his name? Uh Dalinar, who's like a high prince in this war, um, and then his niece. Uh, who is like an aspiring student of magic and science? Okay, uh, and it's it's really beautiful so far, and mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to see like w- what actually happens. Oh, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's the first in a series. Yes, okay. four
1: books have been published, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's two more coming eventually. Okay, but Sanderson is not a um, uh, not a Tolkien. What's the uh, George R. R. Martin. Martin, thank you. Yeah. I forgot which R's it was. He's not a Martin, where he's, like,
0: constantly churning out content. Okay. Because uh, I feel like there's a handful of those series, like, really well-regarded fantasy novel series that aren't over yet. It's like, what, it's the Kingkiller Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss is another one. I can have it on my shelf right over there. The Name of the Wind. So it's like, I know, like, people say, like, oh, you got to read this. I'm like, well, but if not all the books aren't out, I'm not doing it. And I think Patrick Rothfuss is kind of like a George R. R. Martin where everyone's like, um come on guy where's the next book where's the next book so okay but brad sanderson actually finishes this yeah he's doing like a lot of books concurrently which is incredible yeah i've heard his name before i feel like he's pretty prolific
1: yeah he did the mistborn series i think was his first trilogy um the first book i bought of his which i i started reading i want to go back to it Mm -hmm. because now i understand like how he writes yeah uh but he has a superhero series which is very similar to the boys called Steelheart. Okay. Where it's basically a, um, in that world, superheroes are invincible. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a boy sees, uh, as like a bank robbery is going down, he sees, uh, a hero come in and kill everyone. And his dad like shoots him and it cuts the hero. So he's the only one that's seen this invincible Titan, like show any kind of weakness. Yeah. And now it's ten years later. His dad's been murdered by that hero, and he's like trying to get revenge. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, and I think that's also a three-part series. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the fourth book came
0: out a year ago or so within the past year. So he's 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 churning them out. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. I might read that one then because I don't want to get invested in a series and yeah. then just never have an end. And again, each book is a thousand pages. Whoa. Like I have time. <laughs> that's
1: a lot. I got a lot of reading to that's do. That's a lot of content. That's a lot man. of content.
0: <laughs> I got so much time <laughs> uh
1: but i think that's my my only plug for this week
0: okay uh, i have i have two this week Ooh, um, one is uh i have a, a guest appearance on a podcast Ooh. coming up here um so friend of ours slash former guest of the show cj uh he joined me on my friend eric's podcast get wrecked Uh, Get Wrecked. It's super fun. It's basically Eric and his friend Coco, and it's a game show based podcast. Every week they do a different kind of game. Um, They've done like versions on like Jeopardy and um, like blind dates and stuff like that. It's really funny. Uh, But Siege and I joined on to participate in a debate episode against two Gen Z's. So it was the Millennials versus the Gen Z's uh, because Eric and Coco were trying to decide because they're kind of on like that cusp trying to decide which side they fall on and so the debate was to try and see who was like the better generation it's super fun Had a... sound i remember you pitching the idea <laughs> to me and i'm like i want to do that so badly it was so much fun to record uh you know I me mean? i'm not very argumentative i really i just really leaned into it i I was one of the few times i've ever like gone on full-on like argumentative debate mode and i had a blast doing it and cj is even way better at this than i was so it's a, it's a really fun episode and it drops the same day uh this podcast does and I'll link it in the show notes but uh it's it's really fun go go check it amazing. out amazing I'll definitely check it out <laughs> had a great time uh, and then the other plug I have uh also came from in this case CJ he uh he and I were hanging out, and he played for me some songs from uh, Olivia R- Rodrigo's album Sour? Sour. Have you not listened to the album yet? I only listen Chris. to fil- I only listen to film scores and podcasts. This is this is well known for me. Like this is maybe the most shocking. It's the anthem of Gen Z. <laughs> it's like the or most shocking. They're already past this phase. Plug I've ever had probably as I listened to like a a very like yeah youth, youth focused pop culture album, and I. Love it. It's great. It is so good. Like, clearly, she was working with a music producer who's like roughly our age because the songs have a very early 2000s kind of poppy sound to them in some ways. Well, do you
1: know the, I, I don't want to call it drama, but like the quote unquote drama around Good For You, kind of the most famous song off the album? It's a, the whole album's a breakup album. No, so this sp- song specifically is a rip from Paramore's uh, misery misery business. Uh, oh I think
0: that's why it sounds familiar. Yes. Okay. It's so
1: similar now in fact that there was a near lawsuit that came out. Uh I assume from the like the managers. Because yeah. the like Haley Williams has come out and being like, no I fully approve of this song. The song is amazing. Yeah. But Hayley Williams now has a credit on the song because it's oh, so similar to okay. Paramore's. That
0: makes sense. Yeah it, it has very much that vibe. But like I mentioned it's also just like a perfect breakup album mm-hmm. in, in a very like emotionally poignant and devastating kind of way so if you're going through that uh listen to it
1: i i was in such a fate i can't believe we never talked about that. i mean i'm sure i talked
0: at you about it I you i'm pretty sure you have mentioned this before and i ignored it because i was like i don't give a shit about pop culture music
1: yeah it's it's the first i don't want to say it's the first album but it's, it's the biggest album in like the post taylor swift world where this is a a girl who grew up listening to taylor's breakup songs yeah and formed a full music career from that inspiration yeah almost to the it was to the point where on tiktok there is a guy i need to find the playlist again there's a guy who made an album called sweet and sour where it's songs that mirror from like taylor's perspective of a breakup to olivia's perspective of a breakup and it's just back and forth the whole album oh
0: my god and it's beautiful it's a beautiful playlist like it's every every one of the songs like it's a total banger and at the same time you're just like listening to it like this is, uh, this is devastating mm-hmm. and it rings too true and it makes you sad it but does. it's also really good it's so good so. i i i'm very happy for you i'm glad you found it i've been listening to it a lot this week and the less said about the emotional state i'm in as a result the better fair so. but it's a great album and i can't believe i'm plugging it but i'm absolutely 100 no it. i'm so glad you're plugging uh, it I, I don't want to like, I can't shame you for it.
1: Cause like you found it. And at the end of the yeah. day, that's all that matters is, is you have, it. you've embraced Olivier
0: Rodrigo as the rest of us have. Yes. You you can, you can thank CJ who I, I've, I've given up trying to like argue with him when he says you should just do this thing or listen to this thing. I'm like, okay, sure. I'm tired of him being right. And me end up being wrong. So I just yes. now say, yes. Okay, fine. So, uh, but go check it out. But yeah, I think that, I think that does it for us this <laughs> week. <laughs> Uh, So we'll be back next week with uh, two more justly limited episodes. In this case, it'll be The Balance and the highly anticipated Double Date. Yes. Cannot wait for those. But until then, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes, 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 yes. You can find me at Lordifer on Instagram. Uh, If you want to see my
1: art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. If you want to see my face, you can find that at Dexter underscore Adventures. Whee!
0: Yay! Cameron, you you have made it through the entire episode without breaking uh any of my rules. You you get to live. You know, what? It feels a little overrated. <laughs> Just give me that trigger real quick. Okay, all right. But I'm going to make you go through the final theme song and then I'm going to kill you. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Uh, wait, shit. How which was in this one? It's a uh, oh. ba 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 na, na, na. ba 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 beautiful